All right, everybody. So a few weeks ago, I was approached by this guy named Bradley, who is the founder of a startup, a co-founder, I believe, of a startup called Roll. And what they're doing is they're trying to make it super easy for creators and communities to create their own social tokens on the blockchain, on, on Ethereum. And it's interesting because this was a practice that became somewhat notorious, actually, a few years ago in what's known as the ICO craze, the initial coin offerings of around 2017. There was basically just a lot of scammers. There was a lot of people who would launch a token and would hype it up, get a bunch of people to buy into it, and then just sell it and basically profit off of the people they got in on it. But now there's this new wave of genuine creators and durable, serious communities that are genuinely using social tokens, and they're creating real value, and they're working, and they're sustaining. And many of them are trading on the open market for sometimes very good amounts of US dollars. And it just seems to me like a very real way in which creators and communities are generating real value and wealth potentially in the long run for themselves in this autonomous bootstrapped way. So obviously I'm just super interested in that. I'm definitely still thinking about how I might do it because I don't wanna do anything like this unless I have a clear model in my mind of how it works and what I'm trying to do. So I'm still researching and thinking, but I think I'm going to launch a social currency for my community and I'm quite excited by it. There's really not too much of a downside if it flops or doesn't go anywhere, but I think there could be real upside and I wanna take it seriously and try my best shot at making something really interesting and valuable for everyone who listens to or participates in my various projects. And I've been talking with Bradley quite a lot over the past few weeks, thinking about it and strategizing. And yeah, he's super cool. I think he's super legit. And I think he really believes in the project. And he has also investors that I know and trust, like Balaji Srinivasan. I figured I'd have him on the podcast so he could share what he's doing. And uh, yeah, we can introduce the idea to the audience of the podcast and my broader community. So I'd love to hear what you think. I think that's enough by way of introduction. Let's just get onto it, shall we? Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is the Other Life Podcast, where I talk with indie creators, digital hustlers, and unique internet personalities about how to escape from institutional conformity and succeed on the internet instead. To learn more about the Other Life Project, go to otherlife.co. That's otherlife.co. And if you like what I'm doing, I just have one quick favor to ask. Please go and just leave a review in iTunes. It really helps others find the show, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and a big shout out, especially to my patrons. I could not do this without you all. So thanks. And now, on to the show. All right, Bradley, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Super happy to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be talking about this. So you are one of the founders of this new company called Roll, and you're basically making it super easy for creators and communities to essentially mint their own money. And we're going to get all into that because it's super fascinating. And I'm I'm super bullish on these types of innovations. And I know you are too. And my, my audience is really interested in these types of 
new possibilities for content creators. But first, let's learn a little bit more about you. I think my audience would be interested to know a little bit about your story because interestingly enough, I recently discovered that you wrote a book actually that did quite well. And I think something that might be kind of intriguing to my audience is that you were originally going to go with a traditional publisher, but you kind of got impatient with all of that and ended up doing it out yourself. Why don't you guys, nice little background, give us a story, give us a little story about the book you wrote and how that went down. Yeah, for sure. I think this ties in really nicely to what we're going to talk about. I mean, I, I, I had an idea for a book. Early days, I was thinking about being a venture capitalist and, you know, couldn't really, wasn't really connected with anyone and, you know, learned basically valuation techniques and built a network and started making friends and realized if I wrote a book on this subject, you know, it could be a nice springboard for myself and just sort of an introduction to the space as well. And this was really just a collection of my notes. I was going to publish with this publisher in Canada. And they're like, oh, wow, this is great. Fits into like a bunch of soft skills books that we want to do. Let's put it out in like 2021. And I was like, wait, but I want to, you know, I want to put it out now on my own terms and do all these things. And they're like, no, we can't do that. So I read seven more books on how to self-publish your own book and, you know, edit it and, you know, put together like a round of budget is around 800K just for design and, uh, you know, the, just, just creating the Kindle version as well. And, uh, you know, just, just published the book on my own with Amazon and uh, it did extremely well. It's called Break Into VC. It became a bestseller. It was like me and Brad Feld, you know, from venture deals and like the, the venture capital category. Okay. And, uh, you know, the book just caught fire and it's published it three years ago. And it's basically read by anyone and everyone that wants to become a VC that is like under 25 now. So I, see. I, I get pings every day from just folks that have invested in role and created funds that have read that book on their, and, on their way up. So it was, it was interesting to uh, talk to them. Do you have a sense of what you did in the launch strategy that made it so successful? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's one thing I did that worked really well. So when you publish a book by yourself, you need to realize that like, it's not just about you as an artist or an author. It's, it's really about you as a marketer. And that's tough because most most authors you meet are just super shy or they're not, you know, going out to parties and stuff. So what you got to do is you got to create a massive party. <laughs> so at that time, I literally made a Facebook account to create a, you know, break into VC launch party. You could literally go on my Facebook and look at the history of that party. So there were around 300 folks in there and I had activities, I had games, I had Q and A's and it was like a New Year's Eve party. But we all counted down to the launch of the book. And these people, you know, some of them were now, you know, friends, friends of friends, etc. But they were all personally invested in getting the book as soon as it launched. And so immediately I had this rush of people that not only bought it, but 300 people that would like tell their friends as well. Also, I created an Instagram around that time. And every other day, I would post content from the book in Instagram video form. So you know, I, I did a short video on like marketplaces and like how to invest in a good marketplace and what is a good marketplace. So a lot of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, all, all that together really hit and it was useful for folks. I also created a Calendly and I would hop on a call for with anyone who who read the book and bought the book for 15 minutes. They just needed to prove that they bought it. And I would hop on a call with them and talk about anything. And I think those three things in tandem worked really well. So just giving awesome. a bunch of my time to the book. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. So basically, you invested a ton into building kind of high energy, high excitement community bef and content before the book. And then after the book came out, you gave this really kind of high touch, kind of like support 
add-on pretty much to anyone who buys the book and reads it. Yeah, I'd say for like six months after. And like I've since talked to like authors that have launched and stuff and, and I've given them advice. And uh, yeah, you know, sometimes there's this machine behind you. Sometimes that machine doesn't you know work as hard as you as you want it to. But the you know, the reality is just you know, you you're you're the one who's gonna care the most at the end of the day. So it was a good lesson to learn. Awesome. And now you find yourself launching this startup called Roll all about social money. Do you think maybe you would you like to give my audience just a why don't you start with a, a kind of general, simple explanation of what Roll is doing, but then also feel free to go a little technical for the more technically sophisticated people in my audience who might want to know a little bit more about the details. Yeah, let's break it down. I'm super excited to do this. So let's talk about the past 20 years of consumer social in like a few sentences. So we could generally sum this up, this concept up as a user generated content past 20 years of consumer social. And user-generated content has its own tools, posts, videos, streams, tweets. What we think we're doing here is going to lay the foundation for the next 20 years of social and bring about a new category that we'll formally call user-generated capital. Now, the purposes of user-generated capital are very different than user-generated content. You could say the purpose of user-generated capital is giving the dollar value that a community creates on the web back to its users. And similar to post videos and streams of user-generated content, the main tool of user-generated capital is what we call social money. And social money is branded digital currency that's specific to an audience. So if you're, you know, if Taylor Swift is on roll, she may create something called Swifties. And Swifties may hold a real dollar value that can be given to core Taylor Swift fans. Maybe Taylor Swift Brazil has a bunch of Swifties and so does Taylor Swift England. And casual fans can get Swifties as well. All the all along the, the path here, she's building this, you know, digital nation that is completely independent of platforms. Something that could have been very valuable with her recent altercation and with her with with with, with her masters. Someone recently purchased her masters that she didn't like and this whole spat there. So we're thinking social money can solve a lot of future problems when basically creators and communities have their own monetary system. Right. Right. And tell us a little bit more about the technical details. There are probably some nerds in the audience who want to know. So this is basically it's branded Ethereum tokens, right? Could you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah. So Ethereum is pretty much the leading blockchain for distributed computing. All that really means is permissionless applications, applications that are sort of uncensorable. And Roll is effectively one of those applications. And what we call social money under the hood is quite simply a branded ERC-20 token ERC-20 is simply a standard that means a fungible currency, like a dollar, like a digital dollar. So there'd be no difference in value between one dollar or another dollar, and you wouldn't care whether I gave you this dollar on the left or this dollar on the right. Just like you wouldn't care if I gave you one Swifty in that example or another Swifty, you know, both, both identical. And yeah, we've abstracted away most of the blockchain stuff, which allows our total addressable user base to not be in the hundreds of thousands, but in the billions. So quite simply, you know, anyone can have their own social money right now. And over the coming years, we're going to build a series of tools that not only make this real, but inevitable. So we think the arc of the web, the arc of the economics of the web is literally bending towards creators. If you think about a post Patreon, post donation, post Twitch world, you know, the, 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 the inevitability here is folks having their own economy and that can be realized through their own currency. Right. Great. Excellent. So Basically, as you said, you abstract away all of the confusing blockchain technical stuff that scares away most people. Like you don't have to mess around with 
your MetaMask and this and that, you basically just log on to roll and then you're able to give and receive money in a way that jives very easily with what most people today expect from basic websites and social networks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I have been talking about this for a few weeks because basically I'm I'm happy to share with my audience that I'm looking into doing something like this with uh, Roll. And so Bradley, you know, you've been very kind with your time over the past few weeks. We've been talking a lot about what this would look like and, and how creators can use this successfully, maybe the pitfalls that sometimes creators face in not doing this successfully. So I'm going to be launching uh, social currency through you folks. And uh, something that I've really been trying to wrap my head around is kind of the how how this works well and how this can sometimes fail to work. So maybe I think a lot of other people in my audience will be interested to learn a little bit about some of the more successful cases, but also maybe a little bit of insight into like how, how, you know, what are the biggest reasons for a social currency to not really take hold and to not really to work out? So maybe we could talk about that. Do you want to start with by telling us a little bit? Give us some kind of exciting uh, past cases where this has been really successful. Yeah. So because this is a new concept, I just want to relay that in the past, I'd say six months, probably less, probably four to five months, we just turned on markets. And what markets do for social currency or social money is the ability for them to have very much like a startup, a market cap. And so if you count up all of the 280 communities on roll, and you look at all of their market caps in aggregate, you'll see that it actually equals a little over a quarter billion dollars. This is pretty fascinating for four to five months of work. And I'd, I'd say somewhat unparalleled. In that sense, the trading volume, so people are trading anywhere from three to four million dollars of social money every month as well. And so, you know, our goal is to obviously increase those numbers, but here's some of the things folks are doing that are really successful. So I want to paint a mental model that's very similar to something like, let's say, an OnlyFans or, you know, a Patreon or even a Substack, right? So this ability to subscribe or let's say just do an action and get access. And in the traditional social world that, that we just mentioned here, that action is paying in dollars. What most people you know, have basically invented on Roll is this idea of instead of paying in dollars, what you will actually verify or confirm is not in dollars, but it's holding the social capital of the community. So having your own social money is a way to make that social capital fungible. And what that means is you're no longer paying $5, $6, et cetera. You're verifying that you're holding, let's say in this example, uh, 500 whale. So whale is the social money of a creator on roll called whale shark. The entire whale economy right now to this you know day is worth around $50 million. And what whale has done is, is quite genius. And he's kind of one of the innovators here. He created a discord channel. But you can sort of gate any of these channels in your own way, but he created a Discord channel. And that Discord channel, in order to get in and to get access to the community there, you need to hold 500 whale. Now, why this is different than paying in dollars is because whale is a digitally scarce asset. What that means is similar to Bitcoin's 21 million supply. There's only 10 million whale that will ever exist in the world. So if I create a market for whale and each whale is worth $1, uh, and this is a formal market that people are trading, the entire market cap of all the whale in the world uh, ever will be 10 million. And so the ability, when you own 500 whale, 
you're literally owning a piece in the community. You're owning a piece of the future success that the community can experience. You can't do that on Patreon or OnlyFans. You're just subscribing. You can't really own a piece of the success of a given a Patreon mm-hmm. or, or OnlyFans. It's a new concept. This concept of community equity, as, as one of our investors likes to say, is, is, is like, you know, something that really could take off. And, you know, the other aspect is it's tradable. If I create a digital asset that represents membership or access to your community, that can be traded against 6,000 other digital assets. I can trade uh, a version of Bitcoin or I can trade Ethereum's native currency, e- uh, Ether, literally for this, this, this social money that we just created. And uh, people are doing this every day to the tune of you know, tens, if not hundreds, th- yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars every day. So we're pretty excited about that. And uh, I'd say that's the main use case right now. So you could think of the main application of social money literally being getting access to these groups or clubs by holding some of the social money of the community. This will evolve into many, 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 many other applications and native ways. But this is sort of the, the intro about what folks are doing. Right. Okay, great. Now, some of the use cases I've been kind of intrigued by, and, and you and I have had some discussion about this, is the the cases of people who basically use this as a kind of technology for for crowdfunding, almost like a kind of IPO of the of the self in some ways, like people yeah. basically say, you know, here's this token, it represents, you know, my entire future, my, my future career success. And you and I, I think I've had some interesting discussions about this, because I, I, I think from your perspective, this maybe in some cases is not the best way to do it. And so I'm kind of curious, like maybe if you could kind of explain when that use case makes sense or what are might be the dangers of that or just how you see that. Yeah, it's possible. And, you know, it, it's something that, you know, we're we're interested in. But I would say if you look back at the whole history of the blockchain space, it's very new. And, you know, there's a lot of money flowing through the space. So in 2017, the concept of any anything creating a currency, right? So any company creating its own currency really took off. And that concept is called an initial currency offering. And right, it, it was, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, th- and this was an absolute disaster, right? And so I was working at Coindesk at the time and, you know, people would ping us and be like, hey, can you advise on my ICO? That was the thing. I'll give you, you know, this or this. And, you know, it didn't matter if you're like selling a football shoe or anything, you know, people would just give you millions of dollars. <laughs> Basically, that was literally what would happen, what would happen. And, you know, after you'd received millions of dollars, you would just leave. You had no, you know, incentive at all to, to make anything. And, you know, regardless of warnings, this just kept on happening over and over and over and over again. And so eventually, you know, this industry kind of got a really bad representation for that. And the few times that we did a fundraise through an individual, it just didn't ring true for us. And what that meant was it, it was almost very reminiscent of, of that time where mm. people were just, you know, launching and doing these things. So there's another model that we're excited about that we'll probably formally announce next year that has a lot more to do with trading volume and giving creators a piece of the trading volume that they're seeing, which which would be very different because that'd be based on the activity within the community, more so than giving someone tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars up front. I mean, the good thing about that is, you know, if you choose the right, you choose the right apples, choose the right people, you know, it, it could be a, a good model. The bad thing is you're probably not going to do that 100% of the time, especially if it's like a permissionless thing. So the, the right. two times we did that, forever, you know, like we did this twice. We did this with a gentleman named Alex and we, you know, roll led the Alex round. So we, you know, he raised like $20,000 and we did it again with another friend of ours, Kerman, 
who launched Kermans with us and, and he raised 25,000. And, you know, those are two really successful, reputable people in the space. But, you know, we received hundreds of just notes from, you know, folks that were living in their mom's basement. They're like, hey, I'm going to raise $60,000 on roll is what we're going to do and this or that. And, you know, that's kind of not the brand we wanted to have. Right. Uh, come, to, come to roll, raise tens of thousands of dollars and just leave. So we really want, we want to be known for the communities we're building. And it just seems that like the incentives are not lined up to build a community in that way on roll. That doesn't mean it's not possible. That doesn't mean, you know, someone else can't do it. But I think we want to focus on that aspect later once like communities have formed. So like, let's say you, Justin, create a community and it's been around for like a while. And there's clear things like anyone could look at it and be like, okay, I could spend my Justin's on this. I can get into this club. I can do, there's so many things I can do with my Justin's. And at that point, like if you wanted to do something like this, I would think that would be feasible. But only after that case from like what I can do with it has been made. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I figured that your anxiety around this had to do with the ICO craze and all of the bad actors at that time. Cause as you were, you know, this is where the quote unquote, like pump and dump schemes became notorious as, as you kind of alluded to people would do these campaigns to basically <laughs> blow up the, 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 the price of these tokens. And then as you said, just kind of skip out on the, on them. I mean, is there, a, what is the, what is the distinction between a kind of genuine viable, a good faith kind of cr- crowdfund through that kind of method uh, versus the, the disingenuous, bad, rotten kind that you want to avoid? Like, is it just, as you kind of alluded to, have it having like genuine, longstanding kind of like core community value? Is that really just the main differentiator? It's just, it's very thin and gray, you know, like who, like, like who, who am I to make those decisions on like, who's reputable for the foreseeable future, right? And like, in in this, in, in this, in this concept, like I could try and make a good call, but like I, I'd, I'd eventually fail. And so, you know, like if a Girl Scout approaches us and she's like, hey, I want, you know, instead of doing a bake sale, I want to create Girl Scout, to, you know, Girl Scout tokens and I want to create girls and, you know, we're going to do this. And then she just turns around and leaves you know, after <laughs> she raises like $250,000 in girls, you know, that makes us look like fools. And like, right. it, it's, it, it's, you know, I, I, and it's, it'd be very hard for us to like, to make that call and be like, yeah, she you know seemed like a cool person. But like, if she... If she, you know, created girls and built this million person like Girl Scout community, you know, and became this sort of community entrepreneur in this way. And like all of a sudden, like, you know, the Boy Scouts are using girls and like, you know, girls is just the currency to kind of, you know, empower, you know, a bunch of people and do these things. And then she wanted to do like a girl's raise. I think that's phenomenal. And then to me, that that's the difference. Almost like gotcha. you know, proof of community, gotcha. then raise, I'd say. Gotcha. So you do see you do see kind of fundraising campaigns as perfectly legitimate and defensible, but after not you you don't want people coming to you with that as their kind of main motivation. Yeah, I think a good mental model would be like uh, a good mental model, a decent mental model would be like uh, like like a book sale, like a like a like a club that, you know, in like high school or college, like doing a book sale. And so you're like, oh, this is the function of that club. This is what they do they've been around, like there's utility that they've created. And so I will pay them dollars in, you know, in return for like, you know, a book in order to kind of like fund them in this way. Right. Um, okay, yeah. cool. Cool. Gotcha. No, that, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I think you, you obviously have to be smart about what types of cases you really support and encourage and uh, the pitfalls of, of, of certain types of, 
of of methods and i totally understand why you're not super keen on supporting the the you know get rich quick version of this which i have to totally admit was something that totally excited me about this because i read about these types of cases like <laughs> oh man i want to raise like i want to get a hundred thousand dollars in cash just for like launching a token and and i'm also like quite in intrigued by the possibility like I, I like the idea of actually being able to give a bit of equity to people that who are kind of early adopters in what I'm doing. So no, but I totally understand the, the, the trouble with all of that. So what you're saying makes a ton of sense. And I think it speaks to your, you know, integrity and, and, and the, the good faith kind of longer term mission of, of role. So that's cool. That's totally cool. Now, I suspect that in any kind of operation like this, you, you know, you're helping tons and tons of creators and communities launch currencies and some mm -hmm. have done really well, inevitably, many are going to kind of stagnate or not really take off as well. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, I'm guessing these things are kind of distributed by power laws, like you have a few really successful people like the whale token, uh -huh. and the cherry to token, when you look at when you look at the creators that you've sponsored and supported and launching their own currency, where it just kind of goes nowhere. And it's just kind of a bit of a flop, which I'm sure you have at least a few of them. Are there are there kind of key predictors for that? Like, because I, I, as you know, as we've been talking about, I'm going to do one, I'm definitely going to. And I'm just kind of like very nervous about how it could go wrong, or how it could be a total flop. So like, what are the predictors of the, the flops? I don't think there's a way like you could flop because like, from what I've seen, so I'm just going to name some people like Richard with random number generator, whale shark with whale, cherry, our, our only fans creator with cherry, Alex, like others, I would say they, they just have a vision. And and so I would generally say like when they launch, they have some semblance of like, you know, how they're going to use this in the community. And they're somewhat malleable too. like, they're willing to like, they're willing to understand, you know, what's worked in the past and like, try to adopt that mm -hmm. with, with, the, with the tools that they have. And I would say that's generally been a theme that runs like, you know, across categories, right from rappers to writers to adult, you know, creators. Yeah. And I would say the ones that weren't successful or are still sort of finding their way are folks that I wouldn't even say they don't have community because there's a few folks on roll that are just hustlers and, you know, they have a few followers, but like, I know they're going to be successful as they grow. But I would, I would say that they're doing it because other people are doing it, which is fine. Right. So people will jump mm -hmm. on OnlyFans because other folks are doing it. People will jump on Patreon because other folks are doing it, but there's true visionaries on those platforms that are like leading the way. Same thing with YouTube, Twitch, et cetera. Yeah. So and we'll see that time and time again. And like you said, we'll definitely have power laws. I think, you know, even Coinbase or anyone else has power laws for sure. Cool. Yeah, of course. Right. Okay. Okay. That's cool. So really it's just the ones who fail are kind of the ones who are maybe doing it for the wrong reasons. Like they're just kind of uh, copying someone else and they don't really have a clear vision, but you think that if you have a clear vision and you're, you're working on a real long-term project, then it sounds like the, you, you feel that the the value of that social currency just naturally increases with the growth and the success of the person's project. Yeah, people are excited. I mean, if you have something named after you and it's a money and it's like a form of capital, like that's not, you know, in recent memory. That's that's going to be something folks are excited about. And it's something we're excited about. Like we've gotten to a point where, you know, we're somewhat successful. So like we're literally, literally willing to back you in like a YC style way. Like, you know, we're going to and contribute some liquidity to your your token and uh, make sure it's tradable and put it on our exchange and, and, and all these things. So yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, we're definitely really excited about where we're going. Awesome. So yeah, no, I'm excited too. I'm, I'm super into all this stuff right now. And I was actually telling a friend of mine about it who's pretty up on this stuff. And his first question to me was, oh, does that count as a security? 
because mm-hmm. he was kind of intrigued by the legal questions that that raises. And in particular, he mentioned the Howie test. And yeah. he's like, he's, he's like, Justin, you better be really careful with how you talk about this. Cause you know, I'm a bit of a loose cannon. And I think he was kind of worried about like me getting into some kind of legal trouble from maybe like pitching this idea in a less than nuanced way. Mm-hmm. Could you speak to that a little bit? I'm curious. Yeah, for sure. So for those that don't know, the Howie test is basically a test of four prongs, if you will, that determine whether a given asset is a security. And a lot of the determination has to do with how it is marketed and if it exists already. In many cases, in the ICO cases, if you look at them, people would say they'd build lavish things. They would build a new planet or like a new a platform where football players can do this. And they would raise a ton of money through a currency for a platform that that didn't exist. And so this was very troublesome to folks that distributed the Howey test. And so, you know, what we've sort of solved for at Roll is really thinking about this as an evolution of the FTC regulated platforms that currently exist and demarcating utility through those platforms. So what that means is, The FTC generally governs rewards, loyalties, benefits, things like this. And they classify something like Patreon as a as a sort of rewards based fundraising platform, which is to say that you can, you know, sort of contribute, you know, money to a creator and you have these rewards and they have a list of rewards. So Patreon lists rewards, things you can get. Same thing with OnlyFans, etc. So there are like categories within this FTC regulated. This is in the U.S., sort of sort of uh, category that apply towards utility and this is where role plays so generally you know when you create social money on role it always has utility right so there's always ways to earn it there's always ways to if you want become a member of the community and there's always rewards there's always ways to spend it you know right from the creation of it things that we wouldn't do on role is like we wouldn't work with you know a hockey player or an athlete or you know a company that wanted to, in a company case, we wouldn't work with a company that wanted to like issue equity as a token, you know, and, and, and like that was, then that would be the only thing. Right. And that, right. And that token gives you a share of revenue, you know, from the you know, earnings. So when the company goes public, you can, you know, get a bunch of money and we wouldn't have a player tokenize their like, you know, NBA contract or NFL contract and give the holders some, some revenue there because those are explicit securities. So that's kind of where like we demarcate what we would do at Roll. And so we've turned down things like that. You know, one of our investors is someone who is a basketball player and he's uh, gone a different way with, with how he's thinking about it. Yeah. And so like things like AngelList and Lending Club are governed by the SEC. And then you have rewards and membership platforms like Patreon, Kickstarter, these are governed by the FTC and are based around rewards. And so, yeah, this is where we get our sort of context from. Gotcha. Okay. So is there anything somewhat like someone like me who wants to do a social currency? Is there is there anything I need to be super careful about in terms of framing it or communicating it? Like what I'm allowed to say or what I'm not allowed to say when it comes to this? I mean, obviously it sounds like I cannot market this as, you know, equity in some like explicit like future earnings or something like that. But what about like selling it? Like, does that, does that break some kind of rule or how does that work? No, not at all. So, you know, if if you were to sell your social money and there was something you can do with it, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely, you know, something, something you should do. I mean, that's going to be a feature on roll. Right. So on on roll, you're going to be able to buy Justin's and 
the money's not going to roll. It's, it's going to you, similar to uh, a Patreon or uh, something similar or OnlyFans. But, you know, we won't be receiving a massive cut. Most of the dollar value is just going to be going directly to you. Right. So I can say for everyone who becomes a patron at X level, you will get X amount of Justin and it will that's not, you know, making it a security or something like that. No. Yeah, that's totally providing utility. And those are things that folks are doing right now. Yeah. So I could point you to definitely a few creators, whether it's Patreon or OnlyFans, and they're doing the same thing. We actually have a creator that completely left OnlyFans and she only deals in Cherry now, her, her own social money. Uh, and she even has two clubs. She has like a safe for work club for like her fans that aren't like into her adult stuff. And then she has like a super, you know, not safe club for, for all of her adult stuff. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how she, she does this. And she's waiting on this feature because, you know, she's getting like 10 to 20 to $30,000 a month in like a daily volume. And, uh, you know, if 50% of those are buys, like pretty much set with, with, with sort of her community, just, just through creating a currency on roll. Right. Awesome. Yeah. It's fascinating. So, okay, great. So, now, because the roll currencies are on Ethereum, does that mean that basically the sky is the limit when it comes to everything that you can do with Ethereum tokens? Meaning there, there's no limit on potentially linking roll currencies to smart contracts and making DAOs out of them and these sorts of things. Are there limits there that uh, are interesting to, to share? Or is it pretty much sky's the limit when it comes to those other possible ways of extending these types of currencies? Yeah, so roll. Roll tokens are ERC-20 tokens, which are you know generated from smart contracts, which are self-executing pieces of code that can do basically anything you can do with code, but in the form of financial applications. And so, I mean, it's absolutely possible. If you wanted to, you know, if, 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 if you and, you know, Ariana Grande got along and you guys wanted yeah, we to, do. and you guys, and you guys both had a, you know, social money on roll, and some developer wanted to, you know, kind of do something between you two, you can sort of, you know, find ways to create a DAO-like system where, you know, you could vote in Grandes or Justins to do things. And maybe even there's some sort of, you know, combined or squad currency, you know, that can be created, like just for writers and, you know, and musicians that are into both of you guys. So there's so many different things that are going to happen here in the future. And that's part of the excitement, right? So like, Roll is probably the most boring part of the story. Like the most exciting part of the story is actually folks like yourself and others and who's going to hold your currency and why they're going to hold it and who's going to collab with you. Just how Twitter became this amazing minefield of opportunity. I think mm-hmm. holding someone's currency early, maybe that as well. You meet someone and be like, oh man, I've been holding your currency since that interview. What's that relationship going to be like? Awesome. Awesome. And something I'm also kind of curious about specifically is the NFT phenomenon where people are basically minting NFTs, which are a different type of Ethereum token. They're non-fungible and people are using this as a technology for essentially selling uh, collectibles and essentially. And so this is also something I've, I've been doing a lot of research on and I'm quite excited by some of the people who are doing really well with this type of innovation, content creators in particular. So are there are there interesting things going on with kind of connecting the the ERC-20 tokens that the role currencies are and these non-fungible tokens? Like, uh, I'm just kind of curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. So our friend Trevor actually just just broke the record with his with his with his sale of a digital art piece that he created. Yeah. So yeah, how much did it raise? So I don't remember the value of 
Ether at the time, but it was 153 Ether. So the value of Ethereum right now is around $516. But yeah, awesome. so it was quite a quite a lot there. So it's around $80,000 that he raised for a, for a charity thing. But yeah, so basically bought it for his piece. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people on Roll deal in the NFT space. And, you know, since, you know, social money is an ERC-20 token, it can literally be wrapped around NFTs in a way. So similar to, you know, you purchasing something and getting cash back, some people are allowing you to purchase their NFTs and receive social money back for those for, for, for purchasing that. And so that's been an interesting model. A lot of people, I wouldn't say this is a long-term proposition, but a lot of people allow you to purchase their work, their NFTs in social money, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, in addition to that, we're going to have a few new features that allow you to prove that you own an NFT and uh, you receive social money back long term by, by staking, it, uh, by proving that you own it for a period of time. So we think it'd be cool if Picasso had his own currency and, huh. and you own a Picasso and because you, because you own it for a while as a collector, it's almost like a vending machine, right? And then like, you know, every every few weeks, you know, that vending machine is going to spit out Picasso's, you know, the, the Picasso's currency. Now, that's a model that we're kind of interested in that, you know, may spearhead with some artists. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Hmm. So, okay. So this is awesome. It's super exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to do this and, uh, and I'm pumped on it. So it's, it's good to be going over this kind of with my audience because I'm kind of in a way letting my, I'm kind of warming my audience up to the idea. So like when, in a few in a few weeks or whatever, when they when they hear that I have a social currency, they'll know what the heck I'm talking about. So one of the more interesting and kind of ambitious long-term visions for this sort of thing is something that you get from someone like Balaji, right? Who I think is a vet, an investor in role who, and you know, his whole talking point here is that you can easily imagine communities basically bootstrapping themselves from online communities into actual countries. And, you know, I think this is especially easy to imagine when we're talking about currencies, because in a lot of ways, currencies, you know, in many cases, kind of define uh, national sovereignty in, in certain ways. And so what do you think about that vision? Do you, do you think that this is actually quite viable? Like if, if I launch a social currency, and it becomes sufficiently successful, like how, how do I from there own my own country? Please tell me, Bradley. Yeah, so I, I actually think it's inevitable. Awesome. Tell me, tell me how to do it. I want to know how to do it. Because if people generally call like, you know, web two social, and then I don't know if it's going to stick, but you know, us in the blockchain world, we call web three, you know, blockchain. And, you know, folks like Bology are already thinking about web four and web four would be a sort of a ownable world or planet or country, the ability to spin up worlds and have those worlds be real and informed by obviously blockchain, which would be Web3. And so no one's ever spun up a country before or a nation or a planet. But what would you need? You know, you would need your own citizens, you need your own people, right? You need your own sort of ID system. And so we could potentially do that. But each country would also need its own monetary system, effectively, at least in the beginning. And, you know, what monetary system could be specific to that nation and, you know, be the most important? It, it could be something, you know, role could spin up you in the same way that you know you know web 2 allows you to spin up a, a website and web 3 if, if you know if we're successful allow you to spin up your own currency there should exist a tool a service that allows you to spin up your own planet or country or nation mm. and so how this would exist 
conceptually is the land would be digital. So the land would be based in the cloud and the monetary system would be crypto. So it'd be, you know, based in this world where you can mint your own money and that's the money of your people. And then, you know, web two for all the social stuff, you know, it's, you could, you could talk to your, your citizens uh, of the country in this way. And I think that's probably, yeah, I mean, that's probably towards the end of the decade, but it, it's feasible, right? Like, I mean, I'm not even excited about what's af- what's happening after TikTok, right? It's just going to be some other new emergent behavior for some other type of person. I'd be very excited if you can, I can go to a planet or a country or a nation and just engage with that type of people in this way, like digitally. And, uh, you know, the next platform may not be a platform. It, it may be a planet. And, you know, that planet, you could spin up nations and yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Hell yeah. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. So, uh, you know, Robin Hansen has this idea of futarchy. Are you familiar with this? No, uh, I've been meaning to read Robin Hansen, if you know any good books. Yeah. So I, I would recommend you just read his blog posts on futarchy. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be interested in it. But basically, the idea is that his idea is that in an ideal polity, what you really want is for people to vote on values, but bet on beliefs. So that's kind of the core idea is separating out beliefs of actual states of the world, you know, knowledge and information about what is actually the case, separate that out from desires and values and preferences. And he says that basically democracy and voting and compromise and all that good stuff should be really in the domain of values and desires and preferences, which we can compromise on all those things. But when it comes to actual diagnoses of how the world works or what types of mechanisms will succeed in producing desired results, all of that should be very hard-nosed and basically not not compromised, but settled through things like prediction markets, like hard-nosed, competitive, kind of brutal reality, basically. Mm-hmm. And this is a very interesting to me and to a lot of people. I think it's quite, it's quite a compelling idea. But something that I'm very interested in is you could easily imagine some kind of community that has a social token, then building some kind of like, a, like an autonomous organization, a DAO or something like that, that basically institutes this concept of futarchy where so like everyone who holds the token who's in the community can basically vote on value-based decisions but then there's a community prediction market for actually deciding what will have certain types of effects and, and what consequences will be so to me that's kind of one possible exciting kind of middle point between kind of the bology long-term start a country from your token idea and just like an actual social token is you could actually start creating smart contracts and autonomous organizations and basically like contractual rules where values are voted on and then ideas and programs and policies are basically settled through like prediction markets. And you, and you could actually, you could actually imagine a kind of uh, smart contract infrastructure where all of this stuff is kind of like hard coded. And as long as you hold tokens in that community, then you're participating in the voting on the values and you're participating in the prediction markets. And the, the community just develops and grows based on the outputs of those smart contracts. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. And I do think a lot of that's inevitable for us. And I talk to a lot of people that like, they talk about this end state, exactly like you're saying. And, you know, we totally agree with them. But like, and, you know, and they're like, and they're like, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do it this way? Why don't you like think about the end state and like do it in the end state way? And, you know, the answer is like, I I don't think that is in the near term. I think what's actually more important is just connecting the dots and just allowing more people to realize this. Like, I think the first inclination of what you're saying comes from the traditional web, right? So like, if I can get people that say, hey, 
I'm going to allow my followers to vote on my hair color or something like this, if I can get that type of community to understand, like, you know, decentralized governance or that, like, this is actually a DAO, this is actually the beginning of a DAO, you know, then, 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 then I'll call a role of success, right? I'm, I'm less interested in people that already think like that and giving them tools. I'm more interested in giving a TikToker who lets her followers choose the next song, like these amazing superpowers that allow that value to grow. I, I think that's the future of the concept. And like, I'm more interested in like, what language and technology do I need to create to like bridge these worlds? Because the state you're talking about, I don't want it to exist for like, you know, a thousand people globally. I'd rather it exist for like, you know, tens of millions. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. I think I only booked you for an hour. I'm kind of, so I'll try to kind of wrap this up, but I'm curious how, like what in your view, what, what are the next big milestones in terms of whether that be technology or socially or, you know, just kind of current affairs type of news items. Like, like what, what are the next big breakthroughs or milestones that might be exogenous that you're kind of uh, waiting for or anticipating that will kind of represent like, oh, wow, this social currency phenomenon has, has really hit a new level. Like what, what do you see as the next, as the next milestones or plateaus? Yeah. So I generally think of what, what we call social currency or social money as, as literally the same thing as a post or a video in the content of in the context of user generated content, so it's a tool of a larger category called user generated capital. Right now, I think Roll is the main user generated capital platform globally. What's going to happen is I think other user generated capital platforms will emerge, and this is when it becomes interesting. So when you have other entrepreneurs that are thinking about social money and doing things, but they mainly just care about events or just care about streamers, or just care about, you know, inventing the next WordPress for this concept, then it gets really interesting. And so I'm just, I just want more entrepreneurial minds thinking about this, because we have the ability to completely reinvent the web in a creator first approach, which is which is phenomenal. And I don't think it will change because those economics will be held by creators, you guys will literally be the guardians of the web. You guys will be the most successful people on the web if this model works. And so the web is in your hands. And I think that's a good place to have the internet instead of, you know, in the hands of five platforms. Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 but I can't do it like alone or no role can't do it alone. So we need many more people like thinking about this and giving this opportunity to different types of folks. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's awesome. So there are probably a few people listening to this who maybe are thinking, oh, man, I want to do that. I want to launch my own social currency. How does Roll think about onboarding new people? Is it still kind of uh, a kind of beta thing where you're onboarding people personally, or is it open to everyone? Or what types of people right now currently do you think are good candidates for doing this? Yeah, so right now it's somewhat curated, which means our team kind of, you know, goes through an application. Uh, so you, you apply on tryroll.com. And you just say what you want to do with your currency, right? And it very much allows us to say like, okay, this this person wouldn't be a fit because they want to, you know, turn their company into a you know, currency. Or this person, you know, is, it wants to create Jay-Z tokens and, and they have nothing to do with Jay-Z. So it allows us to like make those decisions easily. And so inevitably, you know, Roll should move to a DAO-like system where it's not just myself and my co-founder making those decisions. It's a community of people saying, okay, you know, this person should issue on roll, this person shouldn't. So it's where we want to go. 
But right now it's, you know, left up to us. And literally if you're someone who's built a community on the web or is interested in building a community on the web, whether you're a YouTuber or a writer, you know, movie star, you know, whatever, and you're interested in monetizing your community in, in this new way that has potentially unlimited upside, you know, we'd, we'd love to work with you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Just go to trial.com, hit the creators button and we'll get an email when you apply. Cool. Yeah. I'll put the link in the show notes for sure. And uh, yeah, basically, I mean, Bradley, at this point, I just want to thank you for all the time you've given me. We've had a bunch of discussions over the past few weeks and you've been very generous, basically explaining it all to me and helping me think through how I might do something like this for myself. So yeah, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and giving me giving me your time and sharing sharing what you're doing with my audience. I think a lot of people listening to this will be quite interested in this and I'm eager and excited to uh, launch my own and get get my community involved. Let's do it. This was great, Justin. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you should send it to a friend. Just email it to them or post it on your social networks, whatever. And to learn more about what we discussed in this podcast or to send me questions to address in future episodes, please just go to otherlife.co and you'll find everything there. There's actually a ton of cool stuff on there. So check it out if you haven't already. Thanks again, folks. I'll see you here next time.